Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. So we introduced this series last week, uh, Clean Me, uh, looking at how Jesus makes us spiritually clean but how we partner with the work of the Spirit in an ongoing way to, to be clean. That's better. I can hear myself coming through now. Um, if you missed last week, you can catch up on our YouTube channel, as always. And we said clean me was a, an adjective. It, it described who you are in Christ. You are clean. But also it's a, a statement of intent. You want to continue to journey with Jesus in, in being clean, in being made clean. And so we declare ourselves clean. We are securing that identity but also we want to move forward with Jesus continually throughout the rest of our lives. The theological word is sanctification. It's this ongoing work of the Spirit in our lives, making us more and more Christ-like, more and more ready to spend eternity with God. And so we've got this both-and nature at work here. We, we, we are in this identity, this positional place with God, but then we, we work with God. Uh, John Wimby used to say, it's like you, at the start of the race, someone comes and puts the gold medal around your neck and then says, no, go ahead and run the race. You've already won, but go ahead and run the race in the security of your position. And so that's where we are this morning. We're fully loved. We're fully accepted. There's nothing we can do to make God love us anymore. But because we're in God's family, because we receive that love, then we choose to partner with God and walk with God through the rest of our lives. We don't go for that barcode Christianity we talked about last week where we put a sticker on ourselves and says, I'm a follower of Jesus and that's all I need to do. You've got all that in the talk last week, so if you missed it, I do encourage you to catch up on that and so you can see where we are this morning. And we suggested these three ongoing steps, uh, maybe to, at the start of the year, to invite God in, to ask him to show us what needs attention, what needs cleaning, and then to partner with the Holy Spirit's leading. I know you're busy at the start of the year, but this process of actively inviting God into your life, actively asking him to work in your your life is really, really important because we're called into this partnership, this relationship with Jesus. It's a relationship. We're we're, we're in this uh, place where there's a reciprocal activity going on with us and God. So by by using these steps, we said we're trying to partner with God to get get clean, and we use the analogy of the... uh, the smeary, dirty windscreen last week, didn't we? We said it's a bit like the windscreen of our life gets dirty, it gets smears, it gets bugs, it gets different things on there. And even though the glass itself is intrinsically clear and clean, then things do come along and soil that windscreen. And as we look out, we get a, we get a view of the world that's obscured by the mess that comes and hits us. And I was chatting to Val Jones last Monday about this talk. She was um, excited because she spent a lot of time cleaning her windscreen before she came to church, or the other day before. So she was thought God was speaking specifically to her, and he probably was. But when she got inside the car, she realised actually the inside of the windscreen was also dirty. Not just the outside, but the inside. You notice that on the inside of your windscreen? It gets a bit smeary, a bit dirty, a bit greasy, you know. And so if you just clean the outside, occasionally you still can't see very clearly because there's stuff going on on the inside as well. And it's this inside part of us I want to pick up today. Because we can be very good at presenting a clean exterior. We can be very good at, uh, we've worked hard throughout our lives to present an exterior which we think is acceptable to people around us. So I've said to you before, when I say to people, good morning, the first word they say to me is fine. 
And I'll say, I haven't asked you the question yet. And they're so used to running the routine of, how are you? Fine. They've already got to the fine before I've even asked the question. And I say, no, that wasn't the question. You know, so we, we run these routines about maintaining this exterior that we think is acceptable to other people. And Jesus picked this up with the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. Um, he confronts them, and Matthew records this in his gospel. Let's have a look at what he says. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Jesus goes in hard on the Pharisees here. Woe to you, Pharisees. They're focused entirely on their outward appearance, their exterior, how they appear to other people. And uh, all the regulations and rituals and uh, spirituality was exterior. And uh, they focused on how they appeared to those around. They wanted to create an air of superiority. um, And that's what Jesus was really honing in on with this particular statement. But Jesus says, you're like, you're like dirty cups and dishes. They appear clean on the outside, but inside they're still dirty. Imagine going to your kitchen cupboard and pulling out a casserole dish. Think I'm going to use that today to cook with. And you lift the lid and inside is a six-month-old lasagna. <laughs> Just imagine that for a moment. Outside, beautifully and clean. Inside... Six-month-old lasagna. And that's the image that Jesus is using here with the Pharisees. So on the outside, you appear to be beautifully clean, but on the inside, well, it's a, bit, it's a bit dirty, it's a bit smelly, it's a bit rotten. My eldest son, Josh, told me recently about a story. He works in an office in Birmingham, and one day someone invite, uh, offered to make him a cup of tea, which he gratefully accepted. And uh, he got the tea, and he was enjoying the tea as he was working. As he drank down the tea, something bumped against his lips. And as he looked down into the cup of tea, floating in the bottom of the tea was a, as a half-eaten pear core. So he decided, of course, not to finish it. And obviously what someone had done, they'd reached for this cup thinking it was clean, not realising someone had used it as a bin for their half-eaten fruit, made Josh a cup of tea, and uh, the rest is history. And needless to say, he's quite triggered now if you offer to make him a cup of tea because uh, he just remembered. Well, pears and cups both trigger him, but the, the thought of this half-eaten pear core just gently bumping against his lips as he... Uh, I know, exactly. Um, but the cup appeared clean on the outside, appeared fit for purpose. But outward appearances can be deceptive. Can be deceptive. And Josh makes his own tea now at work. <laughs> The Pharisees' key role was to connect people with God, was to connect people with God. That was their key role. Their their one job was to be this conduit between God and the people. And to do that, they personally needed inward transformation. They needed the work of the Spirit, just as we do, in their interior life. But they traded that interior work for an exterior um, reputation. They traded that interior work of the Spirit to look a certain way, to appear a certain way. And Jesus said, you like these cups and dishes that have been cleaned on the outside, but inside, filthy, not fit for purpose. You see, if you go to wash up your dirty casserole dish, if you start on the inside, the outside tends to get clean as a byproduct, doesn't it? 
You know, if you're scrubbing around the inside, if you've ever done that Sunday afternoon washing up and you're scrubbing around the inside, get that casserole dish clean, that dish clean. And then the fact that you clean the inside, the outside tends to get clean as a byproduct of you washing the inside. But if you just gave it a cursory wipe and then put it back into the cupboard, then the inside would be untouched. It wouldn't be clean. And when we think about partnering with Jesus and the work of the Spirit, we need to think about what's going to go on on the inside of our lives. Because often in church, we're more focused on the outside. We want to appear to be a certain way. We want to appear to be accepted. We want to appear to be spiritual. We want our appearance to be right. And so we tend to focus on the external and forget and neglect the inside. But actually, that's where the real work happens. We've got these habits and behaviours, and if I talk to you about cleaning your life up, you probably go straight to those habits and behaviours and think, what do I need to stop doing? What do I need to start doing? And you think about the externals. We're going to look more at habits next week, but today I want to think about the inside of the cup and the inside of the dish. What informs and influences the way we act and the way we behave. In terms of Christian discipleship, many churches used to follow this model. So the first thing you did was you believed, okay? You believed. You had an encounter with Jesus, a moment when you felt like the gospel was real, and so you might have made a decision for Jesus, and so you believed. The next thing you should then do is behave, You should start to sort your life out. You should start to sort out the things that are wrong, get your act together, sort yourself out. And when you've sorted yourself out enough, then you can belong. You can go along to a church and say, I've sorted my life out, I can now fit in. And they'll say, yes, you've passed the test, you look Christian enough to me, you can come in. (laughs) And many churches adopted this as a model because they wanted the quality of the people within the church to be a certain level. They didn't want people who were a bit messy coming in and diluting the quality of the Christianity in the church. And so many churches had different models that reinforced this. Believe, sort yourself out, and then you can belong. What's the problem with this model? Well, the first problem is, who's the judge of when you're suitably behaving well enough to belong? Who decides when you're Christian enough to be accepted in? What is the standard the church is using to qualify you for community. So many churches moved away from this model and they went to this model, which is basically you belong first, you become part of a community, you start to change your behaviours as you hang around with people who behave slightly differently maybe. You think, well, actually, that looks like a better way of doing that or a better way of behaving. So community first, you catch some beliefs, some ideas, and your behaviour begins to change. And that's a better model, uh, but I still don't think it's a perfect model because both of these things are quite linear, as you can see. This thing happens, then this thing happens, and then this thing happens. I think, in reality, it's a bit more like this. We're constantly in this process of belonging, believing, and behaving. And all these things are informing each other all the time. It's kind of we go round and round these processes of actually being part of community changing our behaviours, changing our beliefs, growing in God, round and round we go, round this process. This ongoing sense of growth. These three are constantly informing each other, not just in a one-time process. But there's one thing that's missing from this diagram that informs all three I want to talk about today, and that is this thing in the middle, 
we can call vision. Vision. What do I mean by vision? Well, what I mean by vision is what is the goal of your life? What direction is your life heading? What are you aiming for with your life plan? What is the thing that's drawing you forward into the future? So if we use the analogy of the windscreen of your life again, as you look for the windscreen of your life, what are you looking towards? What's the horizon you're looking towards? What's the vision for your life? Because the vision that you carry inside influences all these other things. It influences the way you belong, it influences your beliefs, and it influences how you behave. Vision often is the, is the starting point for all these things. So vision is constantly influencing these aspects. If you don't see the church as an important part of God's community, then you will probably not spend much time belonging to it. Because the vision you have for the church doesn't create an activity of you belonging. If your vision of God's discipleship is just a Jesus sticker that gets you into heaven, then you won't spend much time behaving because you believe that's immaterial. You don't need to do anything about that because the vision of what you have for Christian discipleship doesn't inform or influence that. And if you believe that God is static and the kingdom of God is, a, is an inert thing, then you won't spend much time reviewing your beliefs or trying to grow in your relationship with God. So your vision for all these things will inform them and change the way you act. Let's unpack this a little bit more today. The Bible gives us an insight into God's story. So as we read the Bible, all these different books and writings and authors, we get a window into the story of God, God's interaction with people throughout history. And various people have tried to record these interactions and we find these documents and writings in our Bible collated together, 66 different collections of books and writings and letters, all between two covers, God's interaction with people, God's story. So you've got this ongoing thousands of years connection of God with people within scripture. And God's story culminates with something called the kingdom of God. So you find Jesus coming and announcing the kingdom. Jesus said, the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is near. Pray for the kingdom to come. One day, God's kingdom is going to come. That's the target. That's the destination of God's story. And God's kingdom simply is a way of saying God is here in all his fullness. All of God is here now with us. God's fullness is here. This is where all of history is heading, a time when God will come and be with us completely and fully. It's described by the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. We can just see what he says here. He says, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And this is the uh, Apostle John here having a vision of the fullness of the kingdom. One day God will come, he'll be with us fully and everything will be put right. No more death, no more pain, no more suffering. The fullness of God's love will come 
with the kingdom. And that's where God's story is heading. That's the target of God's story. So when we say, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, that's the destination, that's the goal, that's the target. But there's a problem, and that problem resides with us, because we want to live an alternative story to God's story. We have uh, often stories within ourselves that come within our, from within ourselves. We have goals that come from within ourselves, from within the self, the selfish nature. And we want to live a different story, a story different to the story of God that has a different destination and a different goal. And Jesus confronted this when he said these words, what, what is it to gain the whole world and yet lose your soul, lose yourself? What is the point of following an alternative story, a different destination, and you could gain everything the world has to offer, and yet in doing so, you've lost yourself because you've moved away from God's story. And the gap between God's story and our story the Bible calls sin. Okay, so the gap between God's story and the deviation to our story, that's what the Bible calls sin. And what's interesting about the word sin, it's an archery term, and it means to miss the bullseye. So when you sin, you miss the target. You miss the destination. You miss what's been aimed for. So sin isn't a religious term. It's not even a Christian term. It's a term about missing the target. So Jesus said, when you sin, you miss God's plan. You miss God's plan for your life. You, get, you miss God's plan for all of creation. And our selfish nature pulls us away. I used to do archery in Birmingham before I came to, down to Whitstable. And if you sinned, you literally you missed what you were aiming for. It's quite easy to miss in archery, but you missed, you missed the target. You missed what you were aiming for. And so our alternative story pulls us away from God's story, and the gap between the two, the Bible calls sin. So our direction, our aim is now in a different place, and we're not achieving the goal that God set for us. God's best, we believe, is found in his kingdom, and so when we move away from that goal, that target, we sin, we miss the target. The good news is that Jesus comes to put us back into God's story. Jesus comes to put us back into the story of God, to move us away from our own goals, our own destination, and put us back into the story of God. He comes announcing the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. All repentance is, is to review your story. Repentance, metanoia in the Greek, means to change your mind, to review your mind, review your thinking and so when Jesus said repent, again, not a Christian term, not a church term, not a religious term, it's literally have a think about where you're heading. Have a think about where you're heading and then why not realign yourself with God's destination rather than the destination of your choosing. So metanoia, repent, put yourself back into God's story and I'm here to help you do that. I'm the, I'm the, the pathway back, I'm the gateway back into God's story. And so when we repent, we review where we're heading and we think, actually, I need to put myself back into God's story, out of my own story, which is actually heading somewhere I don't want to be, a kind of self-imposed exile away from God's plan. 
And so with Jesus' help, we invite him in, we receive him, we trust him, we review our story, and we help, he helps us back into God's story. Jesus saves us from being self-sufficient. He saves us from this self-centred alternative story that is leading us away from God. And what I love about this, guys, it's, it's very... The Bible sometimes, and Christianity, makes it very complicated. All these words come along and we don't really fully understand what they mean. It's as simple as this. This is the essence of the gospel right here in this diagram. And the reason Jesus got so upset with the Pharisees, they were pursuing their own alternative interior stories. They were supposed to be leading people into God's story and directing people into God's story, but they were leading their own alternative stories on the inside, appearing on the outside to be directing people to God, but actually not doing so at all because they were full of greed and self-indulgence. They were living their own alternative stories. And that's why Jesus got so hard on them. Because he said, you're like a sign that's pointing to the beach but actually go in the wrong direction. You're signing people the wrong way because you inside are living a story of greed and self-indulgence while outwardly pretending to be close to God. And that's why he calls them blind Pharisees. You blind Pharisees. You're directing people the wrong way. They completely lost sight of the target of God's kingdom, which was to reconcile all people in God's love. They were directing people in completely the wrong way, into regulation and ritual. So as we understand this, a key part of us cleaning the inside of our own cup of our lives, thinking about the inside, is to review the vision that you and I are living by. What is the vision that you are living by? Where are you heading? What's the direction of your story. You can think about where is your vision target this morning? As you think about yourself, your own life, your life plan, what's in front of you, what is the vision that is pulling you forward? So think for a moment about your life. Think about a moment where your focus is. Think for a moment about the sort of person you want to become. Where are you aiming? What's the the vision for your life? And how does it align with the story of God, God's kingdom plan? What's the alignment there between those two things? How much deviation do you see between those two stories? As you think about the vision for your life, how is it impacting your belonging? How is it impacting your believing? And how is it impacting your behaving? How is the vision for your life informing the outworking of your Christian faith? You see, carrying a vision of God in your heart is a bit like having an internal gyroscope. It's a bit like having a gyroscope. A gyroscope is a thing that self-stabilises, even under pressure when it's knocked and banged and tilted a gyroscope has a way of self-stabilizing if you're not familiar with a gyroscope got a great bit of footage here of tim peak in the international space station having a play with one let's watch the screens i'll just get this gyroscope here 
and it's just a, a toy gyroscope really but of course in zero gravity if you knock it it's going to tumble it's going to move around um, like any object up here does however if I get this uh, spinning just give me a second So once the gyroscope is spinning, you can just see how stable it becomes. And however I knock it, it's not going to change its plane. It's going to remain in the same plane. I can put it physically into a different plane and tap it again, but it will still hold that same plane. And it's uh, much more stable. So it just gives you an idea of uh, how we use spin stabilization and gyro stabilization for control on board the International Space Station. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. So, carrying a vision of God or God's kingdom in your heart is a bit like carrying a gyroscope. It has an ability to keep you heading in the right direction, to keep you aligned with God's purposes and plans. And things will come along and they will knock you and they will bang you and they will affect you. But like, just like a gyroscope, you'll maintain a course heading, you'll maintain a direction with the things of God. But without that vision of God or of God's kingdom in your heart, whatever comes, you'll be just knocked around by it. You'll be buffeted by it. The scriptures talk about being knocked around by every wind of teaching, everything that comes along like a ship on a sea. You'll just be rolling around with whatever comes into your life at any time. And that's why it's so important to carry a vision of God's kingdom in your heart a vision of where God is taking humanity, a vision of where everything is heading. That's why Jesus said, pray, kingdom come, your will be done. Let God's kingdom in all its fullness come upon the earth. That's where the whole story is heading. It's not just a personal thing for you and Jesus. This is where all of history is heading in God. And when we get a vision of that, when we catch that, when we carry that, that changes everything. It's like that gyroscope in our hearts that keeps us aligned with the things of God. And the expressions of that may change and our circumstances may change and our geography may change, but the direction of our lives is maintained by that gyroscopic vision of God that we carry in our hearts. So important what we carry on the inside, what we think about where we're heading with our lives, what's our direction, what's our purpose, what's our identity. So at the start of the year, I really want to invite you to think about getting either a new vision or a fresh vision of the kingdom of God. God may have become very small in your heart, or you may have an obscured vision of God, or you may not even understood what this was all about. But at the start of this year, we can invite God in and say, God, give me a fresh vision of the kingdom. Give me a fresh vision of where this is all heading. Give me that kind of gyroscopic belief in my heart that I can carry that will help me move forward into my future. See, our target is to be the people of God living in the kingdom of God. That's what a follower of Jesus is called to be. Not religious, not pious, not weird, 
but you're called to be a person of God living in the kingdom of God, heading towards the kingdom of God. The kingdom is here partially. One day the kingdom will be here fully. And you are living in between those two times. You are walking that line between those two points. You are a little demonstration to the people around you of what the kingdom of God looks like. They look at you and they think you're a bit different and you say, well, that's because of God. And I'm trying to be this little outpost of God's kingdom come upon the earth. But one day it's going to come in all its fullness and God's going to deal with everything. He's going to deal with the suffering and the pain and the tears. One day he's going to deal with it all. But right now, I'm trying to live in the reality of that. I'm heading in that direction. We're not trying to live Jesus' life. We're trying to live our lives in the same way that Jesus would if he were you or I. I'll say that again. We're not trying to live Jesus' life. We're trying to live our lives as if Jesus was right here, right now, in this point in history, living our lives in our situation. There used to be a band, didn't there? WWJD, remember that one? Very popular in the day. What would Jesus do? And many people put it it on and thought it would magically transform their lives, and it didn't. You and I are called to try and think about how would Jesus live our lives. If Jesus was living our lives, he would have the kingdom set before him. That would be his direction. That would be the gyroscope in his heart. So if he was living your life, in your situation, your circumstance, your challenges, how would he live it? How would he live it with the kingdom set before him? Why don't you stand me if you're able, please. The Holy Spirit's here this morning. We can sense his presence. He's inviting you once again, into that partnership. Jesus didn't leave us alone. He said, I'll send you the Spirit who will be with you always. The Spirit will work with you and lead you. So isn't about this morning about you feeling like you've failed or you've come up short or you've... This is about working with the Spirit again this morning and saying, Spirit, how can I receive from you a fresh vision of the kingdom, a fresh vision of my future, a fresh vision of where I'm heading. Because that will change everything. As it comes on the inside, it will change everything on the outside. And so I want to invite us this morning, as the band gently play, to begin to do business with God. For some of you, that'll just mean staying in your chairs. For some of you, you might want to come out and just kind of with your feet state that you want a fresh vision. Some of you might want people to come alongside and pray for you. But we've got plenty of time this morning to do business with the Spirit. We've got a good 15 minutes before we need to get the kids. So we've got plenty of time. And the thing is, guys, no one's exempt from this. There's only two options in life. There's God's story and there's your story. That's all there is 
there's two options. And you can continue to live your story. You can continue to head the direction you want to head, and that's entirely up to you. Or you can say to Jesus, show me, help me understand where I'm, I've deviated from your story. Because I want to repent. I want to change my mind. I want to review my thinking, review my life. I want to ask you to help me go back into God's story. And so I encourage you not to switch off because, as I say, everyone gets to play. You're all part of a story, whether it's your story or whether it's God's story. And uh, the invitation this morning is to invite the Spirit to come. So as the band and Janet begin to play, let's begin to do business with God this morning. Let's practice inviting in the Holy Spirit. And we're just going to gently allow the band to play and we'll see what the Lord wants to do. But if you want to step out, if you want to invite someone to pray for you, if you just want to sit quietly, we've got plenty of time to allow all that to happen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.